and welcome to the Hack Your Mindset podcast with me, Jenny Winterleach, the Mindset Hacker. So wherever you are today and whatever it is you're doing while you're listening to this, settle in and enjoy the ride. You've had a pretty cool story that I thought would be good to share with people, very inspirational to people, all inspired by someone that many of us have heard of um, and is dear to our heart, which is Hannah Francis and the Wilbury Wonderberry Charity, wasn't it? Your um, desire to go forwards and jump and improve your riding. Was it not Hannah that inspired you? I thought it was. It wasn't at all. Okay. No, that's absolutely fine. Wasn't inspired by Hannah. She is inspiring, however. Well, there we go. Got that completely wrong. So tell us what did inspire you to come from where you were to where you're at and tell us a little bit about yourself and introduce yourself. And then I will pick up the right story in a moment and go from there. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) That's all right. It's fine. Um, So I'm 54. I work full time. I'm a mother of two adult children. Um, Always ridden all my life, but not always had my own horse. And uh, was unlucky enough to have my own horse um, unfortunately had a very bad injury to my right leg which resulted in snapping just about every single ligament in my knee and snapping all the bones in it um, literally across the top of them all so I had to have massive reconstruction and that horse went and um, I had a, a swap who was a very nice horse very sweet natured but never really got my bottle back never really got that confidence and that real I can do this and I'm doing it and loving it. It was always feeling slightly nervy. And that came to a peak about four years ago after I had an accident at work, which resulted in snapping the ligaments in my left foot. And again, had that all reconstructed. And by this stage felt very broken and middle-aged and and very fragile uh, for want of a better description. And I was at a dressage competition and I got to the point where I thought, I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm not enjoying it. Quite frankly, I've paid some money to be here and I'm loathing every minute and bumped into the very lovely Tina Canton, who um, got chatting to me because she saw me on my walking sticks. I have to walk with a stick now and um, because I'm permanently disabled. And um, she she was saying how. How uh, she'd got a bad knee and everything else. And my comment was, how do you do what you do at your level? with the accidents you have, the falls, the tumbles, the experiences you have, and you get back on. And from the outside looking in, without any issues, without ever feeling like you're bricking it, to put it bluntly. And she said that she had a sports psychology coach and to befriend her on Facebook and she'd give the details, which is when I then befriended you and watched your videos. And that's where the journey started, really. So thank you very much, Jenny. (laughs) (laughs) so okay so yeah I don't know why I thought Hannah came into that somewhere along the line I think it's because you wanted to jump again maybe and do some yeah yeah I think it's probably that and and start doing the BEAT route yes that's that's probably where where it came from yeah Yeah. because a lot of people that said they want to start doing the BEAT stuff is because of the wobbleberry challenge which is which is doing just that so that's fair okay so so you met Tina and what was it then that meant that you decided something had to change from your perception of what your body could do, what your body couldn't do, you know, because it's a funny old thing, the brain body link, like, yeah, there mm. are definitely physical limitations like that definitely happens. Like physically, you you aren't able to do something with a limb or what have you. But actually, at the same time, it's also about what you believe about your body, isn't it? So tell us a little bit more about that kind of body journey for you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I suppose the biggest thing is that it's my left foot and it's my right knee. 
uh, and for and I also have a broken back. So, um, you know, a lot of stiffness, a lot of pain and a lot of discomfort. But also I am disabled and walk with a stick um, and have an adapted car and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and it was realizing that those weren't going to be limitations. They would make me different, perhaps. They would give me a different challenge. But with the right frame of mind and the right support in place, I could do it. And it was working with Tina, who then I, I now go to for coaching. And we never do jumping. We just do raised, raised poles, uh, which works in my head. Um, dealing with demons, I think I would call it. Working out what it was in the past that gave me the hang-ups, gave me the issues and confronting them head on instead of always thinking, well, that, that's in the past, it doesn't matter. Actually, the past did matter very much for me. Um, and it was quite interesting to see how things from the past connected to how I was in the modern day, in the here and now. Um, and so I, I saw the sort of training my brain and training my body and my horse as one and the same and uh, spent a lot of time actually pen and paper at my desk planning what I was going to do and when I was going to do it and obviously that sometimes goes wrong I mean I, for me diet is a big issue and I have a really rubbish diet and a serious gin addiction um, and so sometimes that doesn't always go how I'd like it to go but um, the sort of determination to sort it out to address my demons did actually mean that I've evented now to 70 centimetres and been placed and enjoyed it I've gone out competing on my own and enjoyed it. I go out and do elementary dressage and love it um, and ride it well, you know, get good scores and, and come back with it with a first place, which sounds stupid. But for me, I didn't want to be just a participant. I wanted to be a competitor. And, and there was a big difference to me in between those two things. You know, once what, you know, being a participant is what you do when you do a leisure ride, a pleasure ride or whatever you call them. Uh, but when I go to a dressage competition, I compete. And just, you know, things like you taught me about being in my own bubble, uh, ignoring what other people think, the fact that I have a mounting block the size of a small house and takes two people to get it on and off a trailer. In the past, I sort of would look around and think, oh God, I hope no one's noticing, so I look like I'm moving in, um, to now thinking, actually, you want to borrow it, help yourself, because it's great, it's really stable, and if you've got a spooky youngster, go for it, because it's brilliant. So it's just changing the way you think about things. That's amazing. And it does make a difference so much, doesn't it? Because you haven't actually changed anything physically in that respect at all. No. As in like, you know, I mean, you still use that block, for instance, you know, and things mm. like that. it's just learning to accept it and accept that it's just a part of enabling you to do what you love. Um, and then one thing I did want to ask you, though, was when you first came to me, you were very focused on what you couldn't do, very focused yeah. on what your body wasn't able to do the things that were holding you back, what frustrations you had, what challenges you had. So tell me a little bit about what changed in order to change that focus, because when you're in that mindset, it can be really quite hard to get out of it, can't it? You know, I mean, that's why you came to me, because you were stuck there. Yeah, well, a couple of things. I think the first one was I would catastrophize everything. So, you know, the paper bag in the hedge, even hacking out, would be a massive issue for me. Whereas now we come across all sorts of things where I keep my horse, you know, trucks lorries farm equipment and it's fine the worst thing we do is we stop and have a gore put something together the horse and I and then we carry on um I've realized that I can fall off and I'm fine I might be winded uh, I might feel awful the next day but I can get back on my horse and actually falling off again 
and not ending up in an ambulance was a really big deal. Uh, it was good. It was a good exercise, if that can be. Um, I think the other thing for me is that I've had a total knee replacement recently, and that was a really big deal going under the knife again, because the last time I went under the knife, I came out disabled. Uh, and this time it's been quite successful. Um, and instead of seeing it as sort of, oh God, I'm gonna have to hang up my boots, that's it now forever. It was just like, I actually planned for a break and I planned then to pick up the reins again. So straight went back to when I had my competition last weekend, um, having my competition checklist, having my three goals in place. And I was stunned by how exhausted and how much pain I was in afterwards. <laughs> Um, but it was euphoric to be able to get out there and do it again. And I think actually we need to um, tap into that euphoria as riders more often and see that as kind of a top up to the energy bank and the positivity bank, because we so often criticise ourselves and we look through our dressage sheet and we look at we're looking for fives, aren't we? We're looking for fours and fives. And why didn't the judge like my horse? And actually change it and go, I'm really pleased because I got I got consistently sevens and eights. And that's brilliant. I'm really chuffed with that. Um, so I think it, it was it was sort of remembering all those tools that you put in my toolkit for me and then continuing to apply them. And, and it was like practice doing good practice. Does that answer that question? Sorry. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's changing the focus from what you can't do to what you can. Mm. Just constantly making yourself look at the positive, having a plan, mm. um, feeling back in control of things a little bit more rather than rather than letting something that is out of your control, which is a physical limitation or something, because you've done everything you could to change it and it doesn't, fine. Yeah. Um, but bring it back into, well, what can I do then? What what am I able to do something about? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And also thinking about, rather than setting yourself unrealistic targets, think, right, let's do this in careful stages. So get riding again, do some schooling again, go to the dressage competition, make some appointments for, with your coaches to pick up your training again so that every time you feel like you've got an achievement rather than straight away going right bang I'm in at an 80 and uh, and then wondering why you can't do it um, I think it's you know a big part of it is being realistic so that you you do you do what you teach other people to do you wouldn't teach someone to do a cordon bleu dinner party if you were teaching them to cook so why do we do it with ourselves with horse riding it's that kind of thing Jenny and it's so true isn't it why do we do that why do we do that? And often I think a lot of it is the expectation of others, the shoulds. We love a should. You know, that mm. other people say, oh, you should be doing this, or yourself saying, I should be doing that, just because other people are doing it. But I love that analogy of the cordon bleu dinner party because <laughs> you wouldn't have a clue. Um, and even if you did have a clue what it involved, you, you'd know you'd have to keep practicing at it and breaking yeah. it down and doing the little bits. But for some reason in writing, just because we did it before, we expect to be able to do it again. Or even if we haven't done it before, we expect to be able to just say we're gonna do it. And it's this quick fix mentality that can get in the way, isn't it? I think so, there is no quick fix. It's it's the long journey. And it's I think it's also taking into account your horse, your horse's physiology. The fact if you've had a break because you've lost your nerve or you've had a blip somehow, that perhaps the horse has also had a blip. He's had a confidence break and it's building the pair of you up so that you both enjoy it again. Uh, and I, I, yeah, for me, that was really important. And that, that um, we did some long-term goal setting when you were working with me. And that for me was formative. I mean, even now I'm sitting here with my diary in front of me, but for uh, 2021, you already have the plan. 
you know, that's already coming in, into into play. So Amazing. there's not a lot in there yet, but there will be. And then I put that onto a bigger plan just for me and the horse and then try and break it down into weekly because my biggest problem, as you know, is my work-life balance and my job's quite demanding. And actually my, tar- my one target when I go back in September to work is work-life balance. You know, I'm not staying at work till six. I'm actually going to leave on time so that I can look after my health, but also go and enjoy my riding rather than doing it at the end of the week when I'm absolutely knackered. <laughs> and I think that's a really key part, isn't it? That a lot of people, um, the riding is their hobby. So it might take second fiddle to other things, um, but then they expect from it the high performance or the the results or the, you know, the speed that they'd get from something that was number one priority. And so tell us a little bit more then about that kind of idea of work life balance, because, you know, it's all very well saying, right, I'm going to leave at five or what have you, I'm going to do that. But then something gets in the way. What is it that for you means that you actually and it's a great topic for this week because we've been talking about accountability all week. So what is it that means you actually hold yourself to account and you make it happen? Because actually you've done that the whole way through this journey. You said, I'm going to do that. And you've done it. You haven't just kind of gone, oh, yeah, yeah. And then not, mm-hmm. not put it into practice. Um, I suppose I'm very, as an individual, I'm very task orientated. Uh, that works for me. So I'm a great list maker. Um, but what I shall be doing is I, I've spent time um, because schools have lots of meetings. We love a good meeting as teachers. So what I do is I, I plan out all the meetings that I'm committed to for the year. I also look at all the pinch points, like reporting dates and things like that. And then I will plan around that, which days I'm riding. Uh, one day is going to be my evening out where I know I'll be late from work. So why not just go and get my nails done or my eyebrows or my hair or whatever? Because um, God knows they need it. Um, but um, the other thing for me was thinking about where the competitions fall and what I've got to do, what my commitment is to make sure that when I go there, I'm not just attending, I'm actually going there fully prepared. Um, so that's perhaps saying, right, I have one coaching session a month with Tina, and then I'm aiming for a competition at the end of the month and making sure then that the weeks in between, I've got time to implement the coaching because otherwise you're just throwing money into the air, but also um, making sure that I stick to my plan. So I will do a lot of work during the holidays so that work is not lastminute.com. I'm not planning assemblies or something the night before. They'll all be done. Um, but also, I think women particularly have this thing where we tend to be a little bit guilty, particularly women of a certain age, where we should be at home with the kids or making meals or whatever. And I don't think that's always my responsibility. My kids are growing up now, so I think it's my turn. Um, And I think it's having that mantra that I owe myself that time because otherwise I'm not going to be the best that I can be in terms of the best type of person. Because sometimes you're so work driven, you actually become a bit grumpy and a bit bit unpleasant to be around. Having those goals, I think also then makes you feel less resentful. Uh, And I think that's important in your mental health. And particularly with sort of what we've gone through with lockdown, for a lot of people getting back into competition, along with the sort of the worry of what's going on in the background, you know, the fear of going back to work, perhaps. I mean, for me, I'm teaching a lot of kids um, in, in zones. That whole fear of, you know, we're not allowed to wear face masks in school. Uh, we've been open all the way through. And I think been open all the way through and haven't got ill. Therefore, I will be OK. Uh, so will the boys I look after. And that means that I'm also then entitled to that time at the end of the day to go and do something that's for me, that I enjoy and that takes me to my next my next stage so that I can be the best version of myself. 
And I think it's really important that we, we do that and we, we plan to do that. And I think lockdown's given me the time to think that through because normally we're on a treadmill, aren't we? Work, 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 work. And suddenly you've got time to think about what's really mattered to you and what has made you feel happy. Uh, and I think that that's, that sort of gives you that accountability element as well. Because um, only, only you can be responsible for yourself. Exactly. You but, you know, ultimately it's me, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You can get all the support you want, but I'm not going to do it for you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I've no, got, got enough of my own stuff to do. I can't do it for everyone else as well. So there were some key points there that I heard from you. And one is that it's about having a negotiation with yourself. Like, And there is actually something that I think we did at one point, which is called a parts negotiation, which is where when you're in two minds about something or you're push and pull and, you know, you, you're, you're stuck in the middle of your own brain and it literally feels like two minds. Like there's not one or the other that, that is obviously the one you want to do. So you negotiate the two and you go, OK, well, we've got to come to an agreement here. You need a bit of this. You need a bit of that. How are we going to do it? And, you know, it's always about balance, isn't it? But the thing with balance is balance is never static. Balance has always got a bit of sway and flow to it. And it's being all right with when you come off on a sway one way going okay well that's no problem I'm just going to catch it and knock it back but in doing that you'll probably swear a bit the other way and catch it and knock it back so most of the time you're probably going to be center line but you're going to have a lot of sway in between and being all right with that so the other things that I heard there were one really important thing it's all very well to say and and think and learn and discover and plan but actually implementation is really the key there. It, you've got to do the do. Um, and I think a lot of people don't do that bit. I think a lot of people talk about mindset, talk about positivity, but actually do they do it? So what was it that meant that you, you did it? Uh, the mood board. You encouraged me to make a mood board with, at the bottom, negative images of myself and things that actually a competition that went really well for me I went on my own I enjoyed it uh, did jumping and wasn't frightened um, didn't feel nervy and I put um, hash marks over the top because what I wanted to get to was at the top of the, the sheet and I have that on my phone but I also have it on my pin board in the study and it's a it's a constant reminder really that um, you know if I want to get to the top of the sheet I need to put the things in that are in the middle, which are all my my targets, my my steps, <clears throat> excuse me, for success. Um, and that that actually was a really useful tool. Having it on my phone was particularly good because every time I took a call or something, I had to look at it. And of course, then you think, oh, I should really be doing this. So get on and do it. Stop, stop excusing it. And of course, nobody knows what's in your diary other than you. So when you've got people making demands on your time, it's okay to say, no, I'm really sorry, I can't do that appointment, but I can do this one. Instead of always being the facilitator and being the one that fits in around everyone else. And, you know, that that took a bit of practice because my initial response was I'm being a bit difficult, I'm being obstructed. I thought, well, actually, no, I'm not. I owe it to myself to go and do X, Y and Z because otherwise I could have a crash and fall because I'm not prepared for my event on Saturday or Sunday. I'm not competing at a big level, um, but enough of a level that if you do hit the deck, it's it's a concern for somebody somewhere, isn't it? Um, and it's best to get it right. So that's awesome. So it's so it's about everything's about motivation, isn't it? <laughs> Life is about motivation. It's about what you do want to do, what you don't want to do, what you prioritize, what you don't prioritize, you know, all those kind of things sure. about like being accountable. And and I love that idea that no one else knows what's in your diary. What well, my husband does, but he doesn't understand half of what it is anyway. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, so um, 
so when someone puts a demand on you they don't know how full your diary is and actually it doesn't matter if they know anyway you, you it's having those boundaries isn't it it's having a very clear set of what is okay and what is not what you're prepared to flex on and what you're not what your priorities are because I'm sure sometimes there's something that comes along that wasn't in the diary that actually is enough of a priority to rearrange something yeah, and particularly the nature of my job, I can be quite often dealing with very reactive people, for example, an irate parent, and by saying, I'm, I'm terribly sorry, whilst I understand you're, you're really upset, I'd love to meet with you tonight, but I can't, um, but I can meet with you on Friday afternoon. Well, actually, 24 hours later, they're probably in a completely different place mentally, and they're nicer, we have a more productive meeting, and they're still grateful that you've stayed behind to meet with them, and actually, I put, they don't know, but in my diary, that's blanked out as my ad hoc meeting day. So I think it's I think it's boxing clever and just saying it's almost like saying those are golden nugget times. That is my time that I'm going to ride my horse and actually you can go and do what you've got to do. But this is what I'm doing and, and be quite focused. You know, when you get to the yard, it's very well, for me when I get home, it's very easy to start faffing at home. Uh, when I get to the yard, there's always they don't deliberately do it, but there's always that yard gossip that will come up and want a good old chinwag and tell you about their week. And I've learned actually that I just shuffle around on my walking stick with various bits of tack hanging off me and say, frankly, sorry, I can't stop because I'll drop the whole lot because I will. Um, and actually people start moving out your way then. So I think you just have to be a little bit, not rude, but a little bit, get, never stop, never stand still. Because as soon as you stand still, they've got you and they'll, they'll waste 20 minutes of your time. But if you keep moving, you can tack up and talk. If they want to stand in your, in your stable doorway, that's fine. But when I'm ready to get on, I'll walk straight past them to do that. And I think you have to have that, that slightly single-minded rudeness um, to be able to do it. Uh, and I think you, you, you know, that's, that's also that sort of one-track mind, I'd call it. You've gone there with your target. And before you even got there, you've thought about what schooling exercises you're going to do and why you're doing them. You're ahead of the game, I think. And that, that's really important for me, especially when you ride in the evening, when you're probably at your most tired and, and your brain wants to switch off. So yeah, and I'll plan all my, my um, schooling exercises actually on the weekend. Just cool, so it's, so it's using your time effectively. So none of us yes. have any more time, do we? But it's, it's using your time effectively. So planning when you've got the time to do some planning and then implementing it when you can. And the nice thing about when you've planned something, like you say, and you know what you're going to be doing is it gives you the motivation and focus to do it, but also it takes the brain power away. If like the best thing I ever did was start planning food for the week and just doing an online shopping order for that yeah. food. So it stopped you doing, you know, impulse buying. It stopped you nipping to the shop to get something when you were hungry and buying bad choices. And it, and it also, it means that when we're tired at the end of the day or we're in a hurry, it doesn't matter. We already know what we're having. We've just got to do it. Um, yeah. Or if I can't make it home and I, I phone my husband, and because this was the other thing you were talking about is delegation is really important. You can't do everything. Is to actually go, look, I'm really sorry, but that's what we're having. The recipe book page is that number because even that's on the planner if, if we're doing something different. Off you go, have a go at it, and I'll give him a bit of a break if it's not the best meal ever because he probably has never even done it before, and that's fine. <laughs> you know, so um but but when you look at that as you're training and you're riding that that idea of the single track mind is exactly what top athletes have and they can be seen to be very selfish in that but it's because you have to have that determination and that single focus don't you to get what you want to get done 
um, to achieve a, a big juicy goal. And but it doesn't mean you have to be horrible along the way. You can still be nice to people. So how yeah. have you found that balance yourself? Because you're a lovely person. How have you managed to <laughs> you know, still be um, nice? <laughs> um, I think I think going back to Tina, when I saw her at this competition, there was me in the corner. And I hadn't got round to even getting my horse tacked up because I was putting that moment off. I was dreading it. And I was watching this young woman, I mean, just a superb rider, riding a super sharp horse that was being a bit of a twonk, to be honest. But she wasn't worried what anyone thought. She obviously had her warm-up routine and she was riding it. And if you got in her way, she just did a very sharp halt transition, pulled a bit of a face and carried on. So people started to give her space because she was quite clearly in the zone and you risk being run over. And it was fascinating to watch. And she didn't make any excuses up either. You know, when one horse was naughty or naughty, but, you know, um, wasn't perhaps as obedient in the dressage as she would have liked. There was no excuse. It came out and she practiced it in the warm up and then it went on the lorry. Now, that to me is absolute genius riding. Um, and I went from that to, to thinking, what steps do I do to, to improve? Now, I'm never going to be as good as her, but I can certainly be the best version of me. So getting in touch with you, investing in that, because you can have the best tack, the best saddle, go for the best lessons, whatever. But if your brain's not in the right place, you're just, you're just piddling up against the wall, as my father would have said. Um, and I think, I think also having the time to think rationally through things why are you doing it what is it makes you want to do it okay so what do you put into place and I've forgotten what your question was because I'm really thick <laughs> no that was I don't it was how, how you're also a nice person but you described that nicely with, with Tina who's great and we're going to get Tina on one of these for sure uh, I just suddenly went Tina I haven't asked her to come on one she'd love to it's just a case of getting it in her diary but we might have a chance over the summer with a bit less eventing on and no uni we might be all right but um <laughs> she um yeah she is but she has got that steely determination but again she's a really nice person you know so it was about how do you do that no so so how do you kind of bring that into you because we know like she can do it but you can do it too so how do you do it how do i well i remember many years ago and i I went into teaching quite late in life so it's 2003 that i started being a teacher and i trained i went back to university as a single parent and um, I remember somebody saying to me, stay away from the drains and hang on to the radiators. And I've always thought it's quite a good philosophy because a lot of teachers are quite negative. And I always argue that the kids are a doddle. It's the adults that are a pain in the backside to deal with. And it's true of everyday life. Um, so I just always try and be the best version of myself I can be. So obviously there's people on the yard. I live, I'm on a very large livery yard. There are people on there I really cannot abide, Um, but they don't know that um, because I'll just be very polite, but quite breezy. Um, And people that I do like or whose opinion I do value, um, I will seek them out. Um, And I just find there's no need to be rude to people because that makes you negative and it brings you down. Um, Just just learn from it and and implement it. You know, the person that wastes your time, just avoid them uh, or keep moving Um, and being being nice to people. You can be assertive. Think about what you want out of the transaction uh, in as much that um, you're not using people, but you have a clear sense that you you want to say hello and move on or you want to ask them if they're turning out. Can you turn out at the same time? But that doesn't then need to get into a convoluted conversation about everything else in their life. Um, And it doesn't need to, um, you know, I, I refuse to get drawn into gossiping about other people about their horses or how they ride 
um, I'm training as a dressage judge. So I've done my part A's and B's or ones and twos, whatever they are at the minute. And because of COVID couldn't do the final part. Um, and I find that doing that is also, it, it gives you the opportunity to observe people. So lovely because you meet the most wonderful network of, of people when you're actually out competing. And I think draw on that, you know, it doesn't hurt you perhaps to do some of the good turn, like find out how many it is until then the show jumping, because you know what, you bump into them again, perhaps six months down the line and they'll come and help me, I don't know, put my steps back on the trailer when I'm absolutely dead and can hardly drag my legs. So I think it's that really for me. Yeah, yeah, it's multi-layered, isn't it? It's never one single answer. No, that's exactly it. It's always, and it's picking apart when someone comes to me and what have you, it's, it's picking apart which of those bits are there and which aren't, or which are probably just operating in another way, but you're doing it just the wrong way round, or, you know, any of that kind of stuff and, and, and picking out the key kind of elements that will make the difference. So, yeah, cool. I think it's planning for success here, that, that long-term planning you and I did, and that checklist for competitions, it's very easy once you're getting it right to think, right, boom, I've got it, I've nailed it. But I actually keep on doing it because there are always little things that you can tweak. And I think it's even if it's the same three things that are your weaknesses, you've got them at the front of your mind. So you keep on reminding yourself that, I don't know, when you're warming up in the dressage, that you're in your bubble. Uh, when you're warming up for your show jumping, ignore the shouty coach with the uh, precocious child, because actually that jump's still yours when you're warming up and they can go and do one and cross country actually just breathe and enjoy the sense of galloping across the countryside you know those three targets can be very simple um and you know you can measure them for yourself and the more technical element can come in your coaching I think I don't know maybe you'll disagree no I totally agree with that I totally agree with that and and that is you know sometimes we focus so much on the technical and getting it right and you're not going to get it right at a competition because you haven't embedded it enough in your training yet just because you could do it the other day in your lesson doesn't mean you're then going to be able to do it when there's all the other elements of competition going on um and so you need to have the things to focus on that make you feel good because then you're more likely to implement the technical stuff because your brain isn't so taken up by things and i listened to a, a fabulous book i love this book it's called bounce by matthew saeed and the chapter I've literally just listened to is so true because he talks about, I mean, I talk about unconscious competence in people that are really good at something, um, which is when they're able to just do it without without having to think about it. It just happens. It's on automatic. Yeah. And there's a yes. whole load of science into how and why that happens. But he was also adding an element to that by saying that because they've got that automatic piece, that therefore doesn't take up the brain space. Therefore, yeah. they're able to deal with the extra elements that come in because that stuff is automatic. So they're able to deal with uh, an extra element on top of it. Whereas as um, amateur riders or what have you, or if you're pushing up a level or if you're doing something new or you know you haven't got that stuff fully embedded yet, um, you add competition into the mix and your brain's off trying to work out all the stuff around competition that's going on. It's not gonna easily just bring that stuff back you were doing in your training because it hasn't yet become unconsciously competent. So, yeah, it's exactly like you say, you know, have the goals that you can focus on and don't worry about the rest of it. It will come. And the thing is, so much is always dropping into our conscious, our unconscious that we don't realise we've learned it because we're not thinking about that anymore. We're like next bit, next bit, next bit. And we forget sometimes how much actually we can do and, and what you are capable of. Yeah. And the power, I always call it the power of the post-it note, um, because 
um, you might have, you might be waiting for a meeting and you're frustrated that your colleagues are five minutes late. Well, instead of sitting there feeling jarred off that you're there on time with your mug of coffee, get a post-it note and I write down what my planning objectives are for that night's schooling and what I'm going to focus on. So it might be, I don't know, transitions, uh, transitions within the gate, transitions between paces. I'll literally write that on a post-it note and I'll put warm up, transitions, um, and I will ride really hard for 20 minutes. I spend 10 minutes warming up, 20 minutes riding hard, 10 minutes stretching and cooling down. And actually, do you know what? That's good for me, it's good for the horse. And then another night I might think about pole work and I'll be thinking, what do I want out of it? So it might be using poles to get out of corners better. Um, and I'll just make a little diagram and a note. And that's what I'll focus on. And instead of having five minutes feeling cross, you've got five minutes of planning time and, and use it. That is an absolutely brilliant tip. Thank you. I'm going to steal that one and put it on social media everywhere. The power of the post-it note. I love that. That's absolutely brilliant. So, yeah, but it's so true, isn't it? You you can choose what you feel and think in that moment. And some people think that you can't, but you can. You just go, do I want to feel this way? No. Well, I'm going to do something about it then. But if you've got the tools to do something about it, it's easy. If you don't have the tools to do something about it, it's like knowing you want to achieve something but not knowing how to get there then that gets frustrating yeah. and difficult so it's just about tools isn't it really yeah and you can and the thing is instead of going on to facebook then you can actually put it in your notes on your phone or on a post-it and then put that in your jacket when you go to ride and you've just got it there as a quick reminder and off you go and then if you're distracted by henry standing at your stable door yapping to you for 10 minutes while you tack up doesn't matter quick check and then you're off so yeah, that's, that's a big one for me. Yeah, absolutely love that. And I think probably a really good point to end on for us today, the power of the post-it note. I think that's what today's <laughs> podcast is going to be named. I was going to name it Avoid Drains and Hold On to Radiators, but, you know, the power of the post-it note is just much punchier, isn't it? <laughs> it has multiple uses. Very good for planning competitions as well, because yeah. you can just move them without rewriting it. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've oh. got multiple horses. Anyone who's ever been a teacher or trainer loves a good post-it note and a flip chart. Oh, yeah. but a post-it note, they're so versatile, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> and they're so much fun because you can move them. People love tactile things. Yeah. They're brilliant. Yeah. So, yeah, and my whole business is planned out on post-it notes. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so, so much, Anne-Marie. Is there anything you want to add or say or sum up with for anyone who's listening that has had loads of great golden nuggets out of what you've been saying in this? Not at all, other than thank you very much for always being there for me and for transforming my view on, on not just riding, but life in general and um, and giving me back the happiness that I have in my riding. So it's, it's meant a lot. So thank you very much. It's been lovely thank to you talk too. to you. It's absolutely lovely hearing that. Thank you so much. Um, and, you know, it's not me, it's you that's got to do it, but I will always be there showing you which step to take. So uh, you've oh, got to take you. a step. <laughs> Cool. Thank well, you. thank you so, so much. We're going to close up for today. And if anyone's got any questions for Anne-Marie, um, they can get hold of you in some way, maybe. What's the best way, yeah, do you think? Email. You email. can email me um, yeah. or Facebook. Happy to help anybody on Facebook. With, you know, physical challenges to overcome. Quite happy to share what I've done. Super. Um, yeah. All right. So you're going to Facebook stalkers now. They're going to find you on Facebook and uh, <laughs> drop your messages. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And we're going to finish up for today. So goodbye. Bye. Thank you. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. If you want to listen to more of them, then please do follow us in Apple, in Google and on Podbean. Hack Your Mindset with Jenny is the name of this podcast. So please do subscribe, follow us and we look forward to you listening into our next one. Bye, everyone. Oh,